Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always be warned, these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. As I have the great pleasure of moving this summer, for the next few weeks, my guests and I will be chatting about apartment horror, both films set within an apartment building, as well as a horror story or two of our own of our experiences in uh, apartments. And where better to begin than with Liberto Bava's 1986 sequel, Demons 2, in which a glamorous high-rise apartment complex is infested by demons that emerge through a television set, plunging the complex and those trapped inside into chaos. And joining me to chat all things demons and apartment horror is my transatlantic brother, co-host of the Bloody Disgusting Safe Room video game podcast, and freelance writer, Mr. Neil Bolt. Welcome back to the show, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's... uh... My habit is very much saying, and the other one, Neil Bolt. And I, I think I had to say it. So, so. We're very I, regimented. I know, yeah. I, I, your intro was going on. I was like, I almost said it. I was like, oh, shit, no, yes, yeah, wrong podcast. So it's, like, it's, it's so ingrained in us. Yeah. You know, I always enjoy getting to, even though as of the posting of this, we are having an episode for Safe Room posted about chatting about the Resident Evil Netflix series, but yeah. I was going to, as is usually the case, I enjoy getting to take a break once in a while from games to chatting movies with you, right? I think that oh yeah, while we're both, you know, horror fans, obviously through and through, it's nice to kind of switch up mediums once in a while when we get to uh, get together and I can coerce you into coming on. I know, yeah. I mean, it means in a space of a week, we'll have talked games, TV and movies and I, I'm happy with that all we're missing is a book and we'll be right on rain or a painting i don't know but uh (laughs) how long that episode would be uh yeah so demons 2 and this was a film that is probably best example in terms of you know me coming to a movie for the first time and kind of being like eh, so so on it but then in revisiting it getting some time away getting Mm. a better appreciation for it and i think it's a perfect starting point for this uh month's theme but before we dive into the film I'm curious, do you have any like apartment horror stories of your own that you'd be willing to share? Oh boy. Um yeah, it, it any apartment horror story I I find is pretty much about who you live with and you know, you don't always get to choose your uh, housemates. <laughs> and I think it was back in 2007 I was housing with like a bunch of people that I went to the pub with. You know, we were all like, oh, well, you know, we need to have somewhere to live. You know, why not? Like that. And we decided we'd move into this flat and we had our separate rooms. But there were also these, a couple of strangers there. And, you know, there were rules in place and, you know, they weren't followed very well. You know, don't smoke in the common room. Guess what everyone did. Not just normal <laughs> smoking, of course. And, you know, general trashiness of it. Let's put it to me, you know, I'm not the cleanest person in the world, but I was the only one that got my deposit back for the state I left my <laughs> room in. So, so <laughs> yeah, at the end of it. And that, that was only because we were forced out because of the general shithousery that, that went on during that time. Um, But yeah, during that time, my birthday came up um, 
and I think the time of it was uh, Floyd Mayweather was fighting Ricky Hatton, and we went out to a casino to go and watch that, you know, like because it was like early hours of the morning here. We did all that. We had a like, really boozy night out and really fun like that. And one of our roommates that we went out with, you know, this stranger, you know, this older guy, he, he came with us. You know, he seemed pretty cool. So we were like, yeah, fair enough. You come along. I'm like, you do. Yeah, we just did all that. Got back to the... We got back home. Was chilling in the corner room like that. You know, some of them were smoking, smoking. You know, and the rest of us were drinking. And then this older guy, you know, a flatmate, he just—he started laying into me, just accusing me of being some great liar, some great. Like, never explained why or what he <laughs> thought I was lying about, but he—he just—he was off his face on something that he just went into this big. He wanted to fight me, basically, like that. Like, and before this, we'd never had a bad word. You know, it's like we'd been very friendly and like that, and just. Yeah, you, know, you know, you can chalk it up to drink and all that, and you think, oh, okay, like that. But he just really went off the chain, and you know, I was bemused. I you know, birthdays be bemused at the best of times, but then he just, he did this. I just, I, I go, pretty much goaded him into saying, well, fuck off, then, come on, hit me if you're that bothered, hit me like that. You, you know, and of course, you know, a couple of other people, like you know, doing the the arbitrary, pull the man back who's not really that <laughs> invested in trying to hit you in the first place. The <laughs> thing. Right. Fucker moved out the next morning as well. Oh. So it's like, so I think he realised the, the, the grandness of what he'd done. Yeah. And yeah, to this day, I don't know what the fuck happened to him. I don't know why he did it. And, and yeah, it was pretty much downhill in that place from then. I think we, uh, yeah, I've lived in worse places. Like um, in the time I lived in a hotel, we uh, I lived in what was basically a bedroom, a very narrow corridor called a bathroom. And that was it behind the bar of the hotel like that. So great for having the beer taps uh, behind, you know, on hand if you really wanted, but um, not so great in terms of like noise and like getting out. You, you mean, because I was living, I couldn't get out. So it was very much a prison even when like the hotel was empty in january and like they have this like you know they don't take any guests i couldn't leave for the night you know someone had to be there that was my job so it's like i could go out for a while christ i just the, the stuff that happened there you know and, like coming out of my little apartment there and finding the mad shit that went on where i thought everyone had gone to bed for the night and stuff like that and just oh god yeah hotel guests in the stag do sort of environment you know which you know like bachelor party if you will um just it's horror shit you know horror shit to the point that that's one of the things I, if i write when i've been writing horror stories like that's one of the focal points i've had is the stuff that happened there because the amount of times I was left alone in this building that's meant for like hundreds of people, you know, like to do all that and just go with the flow of it was just frightening. And to know that, oh, you should go to bed, but also you should keep an ear out. It was like, so you want me to go to sleep, but you want me to be able to wake up at a moment's <laughs> right. notice. You can never sleep. You can never sleep like that because it just feels like 
power it. And of course, you get roped into like morning shifts. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, we need someone for breakfast and you're here. So convenient. It's like, yeah, but I slept two hours last night because you made me do this, this, and this. It's like, oh. So in theory, that was the worst experience in terms of like living in a small apartment style flat thing. But yeah, not quite as bizarre as like some guy just goes off on you one night and then vanishes forever after that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing, right? Is that typically speaking, the environment is, or the apartment itself is something that generally speaking, you could probably deal with or you learn to adapt to, right? Mm. But it's more about the people that you're living with, right? And I think that the, my version of that would be like first year of college, like, with the exception of my roommate who I went to high school with, it was like living with a bunch of people that I didn't know. And so it's kind of just like trying to be, and you know, generally speaking, I think I'm a pretty friendly outgoing guy, but then it's like you end up finding at least one or two people that it's just like end up being complete maniacs, whether it be <laughs> during the day or when the sun goes down and they get a little bit of uh, liquor and then they just uh, turn into essentially like the equivalent of a werewolf. And then some of them are there the next morning. Some of them just disappear forever. But you know, I guess that kind of leads into my next question, which is what about apartment horror kind of distinguishes itself from other types of, you know, single location horror films or horror films that, you know, generally speaking, they primarily take place in one location, but maybe you get a couple of exterior shots somewhere else, maybe. Yeah, I think it brings a lot of the slasher ideals into a more personal space you know in a lot of slasher films a bunch of people know each other but they're bringing themselves into a newer location and a temporary location yeah you think of summer camps and whatever but here it's like you know they're all together not all of them know each other but they have a familiarity you know and this is a film that proves that you know you have neighbors that get on even though they are diverse and very different and then you have those that don't really talk to each other and little secrets between places. And it all adds up to be this little soup of ideals and morality that can produce some interesting results. You know, and we were just talking about you know, someone just flying off the handle after seeming relatively normal, which is pretty much the premise of, of Demas 2. It, it's like, you know, obviously with more demonic possession... Uh, which is a better explanation than just someone fucking off for the rest of eternity, you know, because <laughs> they, they have one bad night. But yeah, it, it is there. People living with people they're not fully familiar with, having an over-familiar night. And, you know, the awkwardness and horror of that is there. And an apartment horror gets that because you can't get rid of that unless they leave, you know, unless they're gone you are stuck with it. And because, you know, it's different to living in a house with your family, you know, like for me, because you know, that is it. You know, there's people you're living with. And you know, if, you, if you're not getting with that, getting on with them, obviously you have a much more major longstanding problem. But, you know, luckily I don't have that. And here, you know, it's a case, of, you know, you're with strangers, and even when they're your friends, you know, the you know, your friends aren't necessarily people you want to spend all your time with. 
So, you know, you'd like a break for them sometimes. And you discover that more when you live with them mm-hmm. in some <laughs> cases. So, yeah, uh, I think there's an intrinsic horror to apartments and living with others that is fascinating to me. And I think Demons 2 really captures that sort of adapting and evolving the way the demons did, you know, in terms of like just having this sort of ensemble cast of different types and people of people going into an environment who don't know each other that are abrasive in terms of personality. And they are suddenly pushed into a situation together and you don't know who's going to work with who and how it's going to work. And yeah, it's always a good source of, horror because social anxiety and antagonistic nature makes for good horror yeah and you know something that you mentioned earlier in terms of your experience when you were a night porter at a hotel right that sense of being trapped and you know as somebody that grew up in an apartment for you know a, a decade plus especially in new england when there were days during the winter where it's like you just probably could leave but you don't want to because the blizzard has been so bad the night before and you get that sense of being trapped and it's like just the idea of being in a very familiar space there's no real reason that you should want to leave because you know the situation is still fine or whatever but just the idea of it not being tenable to leave or there's just something keeping you from leaving freely coming and going like there is sort of a claustrophobic nature to that and I think that for me that's the element of apartment horror that I'm always the most taken with, but also it's the apartment horror films that don't look from the outside as if they could be the home of something more sinister, which is what I really like about demons too. And it's a a little different than something like the shining where, you know, not to say the overlook hotel is run down, but when you look at that place from the outside, and especially when you get that brief tour of the inside of it at the very beginning, you're like, Oh, it's kind of like a maze. I could see something going on here that maybe yeah. is less than ideal. But in something like Demons 2, when you look from the outside and then you get that interior tour, it's essentially like a luxury high rise. It's definitely not your run of the mill apartment high rise. It is definitely yeah. supposed to be even more bougie, if you will. And you do get that throughout, you know, the sort of lives of other tour that we get, right? In terms of giving us brief snippets of just random people that live throughout the building and you know for the most part it seems like it's idyllic right there's happy mm-hmm. families there's happy couples there's even there's a guy there that clearly has some money because he's paying for escorts and it's not the usual kind of sleazy 70s 80s depiction where somebody's getting beaten on or something of that nature but you get the sense that you know this is a high rise that is essentially at the top of the mountaintop of where you would want to live. And the idea that still it is, despite the fact that it has a security guard, it's still very easily uh, invaded, if you will, through, you know, more supernatural means than maybe we were expecting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's strange, you know, it's less set up than the original demons where it's like the whole presentation of the film that causes the problems. It very much feels like they are trying to cause this, yeah, you know, here it feels. In a way, it it's reminiscent of modern politics. If you think about it, because the first attempt is very blatant, very like, oh look, all the stuff is out in the open, and we're we're just making it seem like it's not. And 
you know, you couldn't replicate it a second time because, you know, fool me once, etc., etc. But the second time is more surreptitious, where it's like, oh, you know, well, okay, this time we'll we'll deliver the evil to your home, you know, through the TV, and which is a good you know, story of telling the difference between, you know, the whole cinema to, to television and how, you know, oh, like the access to all this horrible stuff that you could get to is there and now it's more free because you've got it on TV and, and you know, again, in both cases, bollocks. You know, it's like everyone has a choice to go and see these things and do these things. But it, it makes it a focal point in a way that is interesting without ever really beating you over the head with it. You know, it, it's there as a subtext, but, you know, it never deviates from the focus of which is like, yep, we're just setting up, you know, more demon shenanigans and bloody murder. That's fine. Which is all it should be, you know, at the end of the day. Well, that's a great shout, that transition from, you know, the theater, more traditional way to view and consume versus having a TV at home, don't have to, you know, get up or go anywhere past the living room or your bedroom, right? And that it's more accessible, which really plays into, you know, that brief Lives of Other Tours that I mentioned, right? Where we're kind of getting glimpses of everybody in different apartments and everybody's watching the same thing, which is essentially, you know, a it's supposed to be a movie that is showing you the ramifications of after the original demons, right? That site yeah. has been walled off. And then these teens are like, oh, we're looking for artifacts. And of course, something goes wrong and ends up reviving the demon, which then comes through the TV and bites this girl that's having this party at her house, this girl, Sally. And this element I thought was really funny to, you know, talking about this movie after on safe room, we had talked about uh, the glass staircase, which is very much Mm. influenced by like Fulci films. Right. And that having that sort of in the back of my mind, I thought that demons Two has a very sort of, Fulci-esque dreamlike approach to that whole aspect of the demons, right? In the first film, it's a lot more traditional in the sense of like, okay, these are demons. If you get bit or scratched or bled on by them, you turn into one, which has a zombie component to it. But in Demons 2, having this realization, oh, they can come through TVs or all of a sudden screens can be a threat. Yeah, They don't spend a lot of time developing that or explaining that or even really it being a focal point but the film overall i think it complements that sort of dreaminess in a nice way that i didn't appreciate fully the first time i'd watched and it's probably why i enjoyed this so much more on a rewatch yeah the unexplained nature of it is what makes it work because you start explaining even in the first film it's like there's no real explanation for why it happens like it does, but it does. Like, like there's no explanation for why it chooses who it does and why it happens only here. And the connection between the two and the, like, did it really happen? Did it not? Whatever. You know, like that is fascinating in itself because you, you are left with so many questions, but that's the best way to make it more like a nightmare is that you, you don't have logic and reason these things and you know while that's usually an excuse to do away with plot and you know dialogue and whatever here it makes sense you know and you know Fulci was always a master at that you know in terms of making things feel like they were some sort of vivid dream that didn't have any rhyme or reason but 
somehow made just enough sense to be like paranoid about it, you know. And you know, Argento's influence in these films is also felt in terms of how stylish they feel. You know, I mean, the first film especially is very stylish, but um, even here, you know, his daughter is obviously the girl that gets um, everything kicked off here. Um, so it, it has that lineage. But yeah, it's just brilliant how it ends up coming from such an odd place. How, you know, the catalyst for this story is literally a girl throws a strop at her party because someone accidentally invited her boyfriend because she didn't fucking listen. And then she's so hooked to this TV show, which everyone is, you know, this movie, whatever is going on. Everyone who watches it is so enchanted by it. And that's obviously the point that, you know, that becomes like the crux of everything. And, you know, the, that whole scene, you know, with that and the, the, you know, the demon looking out to her and then coming through the screen and you know obviously Videodrome had done this as well around the same point but it's still really impressive how it just pushes you know pushing out the screen and brings things into reality and like the biggest part of it is that it doesn't explain it away that you just have this thing that happens and you don't have reason reason or rhyme for it and it ends up being that that's why it plays on your mind more because you're like, Oh shit. You know, like if it made sense, you could reason with it more, but it doesn't. That's exactly why it is special. Yeah. And you know, I think also furthermore, it's just the idea that the enchanting quality that that movie has over people, it fuels this idea that everybody is watching it because of it's more in the more accessible format of media, which then, you know, kind of almost replaces, even though it factors in later in the film, right? The traditional way in which demon spread or zombie spread, right? The bite, if you will. And this in and of itself is kind of like presenting, it's bringing the danger into the least likely places that you would think that this would occur. And I think that, you know, that's intentional. Again, the idea that they're making a commentary on the ways in which we consume media and how's that can spread throughout society and whatnot. But yeah. it's an element that I find to be far more eerie, especially when I'm just coming off of watching uh, Incantation on Netflix, which just came out that found footage film that very much deals with like curses and the ease with which those can yeah. spread amongst people, whether it be through media or, you know, voice and th things of this nature. And to date this far back to a film that, you know, came out a year after the original. And I think it began filming like seven months after the original film. Like it was a quick turnaround. And for them to take the very basic idea of like demons, right? That's a pretty standard idea. But then applying it to a whole new setting and having it feel like it reinvents itself in a way that justifies a sequel. It doesn't just feel mm. like this is DTV schlock that's going to capitalize on the success of the past film. It's like, no, they're reinventing it in a way and it looks better than it did even in the original. Um, and I think that's an element that um, really gets overlooked. And again, part of that might be to the fact of it being an isolated setting, whereas it's similar to the other one, but again, it's a different kind of setting. Yeah. Um, and so I guess in terms of like not doing a black and white comparison of the first film and the second film, how does Demons 2 utilize that new setting of the apartment in terms of 
you know, not feeling like just a regurgitation of the original, but in a new setting. Yeah, I think it goes back to that familiarity, you know, that you have. It's not just a bunch of strangers coming together in a cinema because they've been given tickets. And like I said, it feels less manipulative as a, a system, you know, where the cinema experience was literally luring people in like that, whereas this feels more like an invasion, you know, right. of, of the environment. You know, it's like these people had no choice in what happened. It just happened to happen here. You know, it got to them. It was like the the, the new idea, the, the regrouping of like, well, it didn't work this way last time, so let's try it in a way that, you know, if people don't want to go out, we can get them in their homes sort of thing, uh, which, you know, very poignant, you know, even to this day. The idea that you can be hurt by this sort of stuff, you know, no matter where you are. And and so, yeah, that, that, that to me is the key discerning difference between them is that you have that sort of very personal, you know, invasive sort of experience to where you, where you don't really choose to be involved, that it, it comes to you and, and is on your doorstep, which, you know, I'm sure ties into many things they were going for at the time, you know, in terms of like, oh, it, you know, terror is at your door sort of thing. But um, yeah, it, it works. And, you know, European horror doesn't hit it quite as bluntly on the nose as, um, you know, American horror does in that regard. And so you you have this strangeness to it that, that works quite well. This movie I'm really impressed with, I think, because it's able to continuously reinvent itself and one element of, you know, a lot of single location horror movies is the notion that, okay, you're going to be in this space for the entirety of the film. You have to be able to reinvent it or present it in ways that the audience isn't going to get bored with the environment. And, mm. you know, this could have very easily been the case of a movie that's like, okay, you're in a high rise, but we're just going to have you jump between a bunch of almost identical apartment complexes, which at the end of the day might as well be the same room. But in this film, I found that it was really refreshing to see them actually highlight distinctly different set pieces within the complex itself. And each of those set pieces has like major action folding within it, right? You start yeah. out in Sally's apartment. Of course, you have the initial outbreak, if you will. And that has, you know, gruesomely gory moments in it that are, you know, wonderful. And then you have like the gym that's downstairs and you have not only the demons getting people in the middle of their lift, but they start throwing weights at people or they start crushing people's heads with dumbbells and barbells and whatnot. And then you have like the garage section, which is kind of like the last stand of everybody that was in the gym. And you have this yeah. kind of all out brawl where they're driving cars in the walls and they're setting up barricades. And it kind of feels like that moment from uh, 28 days later, right? When they're in the tunnel almost and they're kind of setting up barricades and the horde is closing in on them. But it's a quality of this movie that I think allows its setting, you know, it's not an especially long movie, but it's never allows its setting to kind of feel like a retreading on any particular environment. And it's continually reinventing itself and utilizing that, demo, you know, the demonic invasion aspect. But as the setting evolve or the environments involve, the survivors themselves have to adapt to what's within yeah. arm's reach, which really does give a certain level of intensity to the overall film that I think really stays with it until the very end. 
Yeah, it really does. Uh, I mean, just going back to that thing about the gym, it's like another thing that makes it disorientating is um, using you know, people from the original film, like uh, Bobby Rhodes, who plays the gym guy, Hank. Uh, he, you know, Obviously, he's like the pimp in the first film. And yeah, it's like using it in this very matter of fact way where it's like, yeah, we know it's the same guy. You know, they don't even try to hide that whilst he's being a very different character. You know, the attitude, the the voice is very much the same guy. And, you know, that again, throws up more questions than it should. And it's, that's the scariest part about it. You know, it just keeps pushing questions on you and not answering them. You know, it's like, I mean, you could logically answer it and say, oh, well, you know, they just thought, well, it was cheaper and easier to just get the same guy back again to do this, blah, 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 like that, because it's a year later. But in terms of, like, storytelling, like, it's unnerving to use a character like that and, you know, be a different person altogether. You know, and I, I, we've seen that in the past done wrong, you know, and this is a rare example where it works. It's like, yeah, okay. You're the guy I remember from the first film, and but you're not the same, and but it's a weird connection, and I don't know yet. Somehow I feel like it ties into the whole sort of shift from like we couldn't get you at the cinema, so we'll get you at at your home sort of thing, and like changing aspects of the original story whilst keeping some things familiar works as an overall message when you are keeping people on from the original film so yeah that part of it you know personally i found very interesting that you you could have someone that was there before would you know acting as if they'd never been in any any of it and are a different person it it just it it adds a layer to it furthermore i think the way in which demons 2 is able to reinvent itself while still being in line with the original, is the different types of, you know, demonic entities, if you will, Mm. or the ways in which they evolve on the sort of just ever horrifying nature of the demons, right? Because you learn that, you know, and maybe I'm misremembering, but in the second one, they have basically blood that acts as acid, right? Which is not unalien-like. And I don't remember if that was in the original, but like that plays a much bigger role in the second film because of the idea of, you know, people literally living on top of each other. And that I think is one of the most terrifying aspects of the demons themselves is that, you know, if the TV is the source of entry for every single home, well, some not everybody's going to have their TV on. So some people might be spared if, you know, the demons don't literally come bursting through their walls or doors. Mm. But then one of them starts to bleed. And what does it do? It bleeds through every single floor of the apartment complex. And essentially, it is a more invasive version of, you know, the spread of the demonic uh, yeah. curse or possession, if you will, which we see when, you know, the blood leaks through and then leaks onto the dog who then becomes possessed, which we get a, <laughs> a nice demonic puppy at a, a certain point, which, you know, furthermore, it's just cool to see them expand on the types of you know, creatures or the types of things that can become infected. Because this film, if anything, feels a little more brutal uh, in the ways in which, you know, not just in terms of, you know, the practical effects being that much more intricate and that much more uh, impressive, 
but also the ways in which they really don't shy away from anything, right? Because at yeah. one point you have a little kid that becomes infected and then what erupts from him is this just like a demonic baby essentially that chases around one of the characters <laughs> to the apartment, which is like pretty brutal. And I was a little bit taken aback. I'd forgotten how just matter of fact it is in terms mm-hmm. of, yeah, we're going to kill this kid and then make a demonic version of him that equally tries to, you know, make other people dead. Yeah, it's like... It, it, it just has a massive mean streak. And again, when you think of um, demonic possession, you know, as opposed to just flat out zombies and things like that, it, it's an underdeveloped thing in terms of how you do this. You know, the Evil Dead is obviously the, uh, the the jump off point for things like this, being popular and having a go at it. But um, you look at Demons 2 and its plot, is basically going to be the premise for Evil Dead Rise, you know, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, Evil Dead, but in an apartment building. It's like, yeah, Demons too. That, 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 we've done it. But um, I like the idea. It, it clearly works. But, um, yeah, it feels refreshing when it gets done because it's different to zombies because there's a manipulative, manipulative quality to it. Um, I don't know if you've ever read... Um, Brian Keane's novels um, hit a series of novels called like The Rising City of the Dead and that. Um, basically where it's like the whole zombie apocalypse story, but it's about every time someone dies, a zomb- you know, a demon soul invades that body and uses it. And so they're smart, they're intelligent and they, you know, they manipulate and find their ways to kill other people to keep spreading the thing like that. And, it was the only other time where I felt, felt the spirit of demons and demons too sort of come through into other media, you know that. And I, you know, it's why it's such a good series of books because it's just so mean spirited and so. Matter of fact, it's it's not about oh the people you loved aren't the same anymore in the way like oh they're just husks of what they were now. This it's really that you know these demons are using the bodies of the people that you loved to fuck with you and manipulate you and make it hard for you to make rational decisions, you know, in a way that would be much easier if they were just like lifeless husks, you know, and you know, the evil dead aside that just doesn't get done that often. And even evil dead kind of shied away from that after like two films, you know, it went to doing goofier stuff. So, yeah, Demons and Demons 2 really sort of carried the torch for this sort of mean-spirited fuck it sort of nature where you would just do it and just people die. It doesn't matter who dies. It doesn't matter how they go. And, but they don't really die. They just get taken over. And um, that to me is far more disturbing than the idea of zombieism. You know, the idea that you could be possessed by a demon in a sense that isn't like you know the conjuring exorcist version of that where it's the you know where you are very much like have your wits about you so to speak because you're being puppeteered in every sense of the word yeah that that's a very frightening idea and surprisingly not many demonic possession films do that so this this does feel like a breath of fresh air in that regard Yeah, I think that taking a lot of the elements that are perhaps 
introduced or in some regards like perfected from something like the evil dead and then seeing it applied to a concept that has not only a bigger budget but a bigger scope and still be able to retain the core elements of what makes that Mm. so terrifying you know that's the thing is that while the demons are presented as being zombies for you know that might be an oversimplification but just like them hunting as a pack you know, behaving as a pact, essentially, the way they're pursuing people, the fact in which the way in which rather the uh, demonic possession really spreads is very zombie like demons and demons, too, are very, very distinctly different in never feeling necessarily like a zombie movie, despite all of those things, Um, which is what I think makes that such a fantastic double feature that at the same time, like you might be able to say, well, they're defined by their settings and their locales, which are different than one another. But at the same time, the difference in locales is what I think really allows the demonic nature of those movies to really pop in a way that is uh, very distinctly gruesome and uh, gratuitous in some instances. Again, like the fact that it's able to literally invade people's homes and whatnot, whether or not their doors are locked. The fact in which we can see the different ways in which the possession doesn't necessarily um, like pick one type of person over the other. It's pretty indiscriminately going to infect whoever comes across in the ways in which it does. And it doesn't pull any punches in that regard. Again, you know, whether it's uh, turning a pet or turning a, somebody's child into a literal, you know, yeah. demonic entity that'll chase you around the apartment and try to get you no matter what you do. That's just, again, just kind of like a quality of these movies that I think allows it to, not just be viewed as like, oh, that's kind of like a zombie derivative. It's just got a very sort of singular mean streak nastiness about it that still to this day makes it more uh, more unique than maybe it gets the uh, uh, accolades that it deserves. But yeah. I guess we can talk about some like memorable moments for you because, I mean, there's plenty of, you know, I'm thinking particularly mm. about like the practical moments and whatnot. Um, something yeah. along the lines of like Sally's initial transformation in the apartment complex and then she goes to like end up mauling her friends. And that's really the start of the demonic, uh, the demonic horde. But I mean, that's such a fantastic moment because, you know, it really does show the evolution that a bigger budget, but also just like a year later, they're able to do with those demonic practical effects and, you know, getting to see her fingernails grow and then her teeth falling out and being replaced by these jangly fangs. I mean, it's all wonderfully uh, demented. It really is, and I just think the abruptness of that scene, you know, where you know, people just get off, and there's no, you know, there's nothing about their fate that is not definite, which I like, you know, it's like when you get into a lot of zombie media, you know, you had this whole, like, well, maybe they'll survive, or maybe they'll, they can get shot before they'll turn, and all this sort of stuff. Like, whereas, you know, here it's like, Anything, anything, so much as a scratch, that's it, you're done. And you are going to be cursed to be replaced by the demon in your in your body. That's it. Again, going back to what I was saying about Brian Keane's The Rising and see that that's it's just that sort of uncaring nature of, uh, about how that happens and how cruel it feels that really offsets the goofiness of it you know where you know there's a natural goofiness to a lot of 80s stuff because you know we we've grown up with other things since then that are you know you know quote unquote more sophisticated but 
you can never quite replicate that, you know, that, that, that mean streak that really gets why even the goofiest looking thing can work and affect you in a way that other things don't because it impacts you on a human level. You know, like a, well, shit, you know, how bad would it be if a single scratch could lose you someone forever? Uh, you know, and uh, not that they would just die, that but they would come back and literally try to attack you as something else is horrific in itself. You know, it's a haunting image and that's what the dreamlike nature of these films really gets right. You know, it's like the helplessness of dreams, you know, where you just don't have the control and you don't, you know, these characters, they don't have the control of what happens. Just like a single scratch can change everything in an instant, no matter how well you're doing or how brave you're fighting against things, you are done for the second someone's so much as nicked by these things. And, that's you know, and that's their objective. They don't, you know, unlike you know, um, zombies. Again, it's like they're not out to eat. Not, they are out to spread the disease, and that's it. You know, and again, it's weird how poignant they ended up being for the modern day. So, like so many things about spreading disease, but yeah, it, it's there. You know, it's it's crazy how well it works still to this day. I think it stops from being goofy again because of not only the practical effects, but just the overall presentation of the film. Uh, yeah. There's a quality to this movie that I would almost attribute to feeling somewhat music video-esque. Like there are a yeah. lot of close-up shot, not just because of the score, but like the way in which it's shot. There are a lot of close-ups that, and you know, I, I lack the technical term for the way the shot is, but it seems akin almost to like a fisheye in that the camera's right up against the demon's face essentially and you're kind of just seeing them in the moment like looking around or howling or you know showing off their fangs and whatnot that gives the movie a really cinematic quality but at the same time it feels fresh and different in yeah. a way but at the same time you know it doesn't ever feel goofy like I've mentioned now a couple of times like the idea that there's like a demonic baby at one point or a demonic dog but those are sold with the quality of those practical effects. And yeah. I think that's the the greatest tell of a lot of movies that have aged well, especially from this era of horror, right? It's the idea that no matter how outlandish something might seem, how silly it might seem, if you make it look the part, then it's going to age as it should. Um, and, you know, that's not the newest argument on practical effects, but it is a quality of especially something like this that received a sequel, right? And in a short amount of time, it seems as if they, the creatives behind the practical work were, they'd done three movies in between this and that because of just how good they look. And then having a cinematographer that's able to capture them in the best unique way possible that, again, doesn't just feel like a retreading on what you saw. And I think that Demons 2 is notable for being an apartment horror film, but that's not the end-all be-all of the experience. No. It doesn't just feel like, oh, well, we're going to change the venue so you buy a ticket or you buy a DVD copy of it or whatever. Yeah. It just, it's literally it, that transference between cinema and home video. That, uh, that is the basic premise of it. It, it. it takes the plot and moves it to home video and the, uh, and all that entails. And that, that, that in itself is a clever sort of premise to take it on. Yeah. And, you know, I think also just in terms of the film technique, there are a couple of shots of a horde of demons that are running down a hallway or a stairwell or the garage or something. 
and it's in sort of like slow-mo, but then mm. it captures like the gleaming glint in all of their eyes. Um, and I love little moments like that. Again, they're few and far between, but just little shots like that make this yeah. seem like it's such a bigger film than it actually is. And, you know, I think that's interesting considering, you know, it the scope of the setting is, you know, several stories tall, but it never really feels like it loses any of the detail that makes these demons horrifying. The idea that you're trapped and being hunted by this horde that is unrelenting and we don't necessarily have the best understanding of how they are spreading still, right? Because again, the idea that there's a dreamlike logic to how they can get in, well, if they can get in through the TV, what else could they potentially do? And so little things like that, I think, make for a very oppressive and uh, you know claustrophobic film, but in the best way possible. Yeah, absolutely. He's brilliant at doing both claustrophobia and just scale. You know, it's a, you know something that feels beyond your comprehension, which is brilliant. I mean, the meta nature of it with the whole like film within a film thing that had been done in the first film is just you know to, to escalate on that and say where the film within it is saying you know all this really happened blah 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 but and you're not sure because everyone views who's watching it is fascinated by it like it must have happened you know because you know they're letting kids watch it you know or what you know like and there's no sort of oh you shouldn't be watching this thing it's like god almost given the reverence of some sort of historical moment that happened which at that point you know given by then it would have been a year ago and yeah yeah, it's there. So again, that uncertainty of not knowing if it's history or if it's just, I don't know, alternate universe or whatever. It, it just, it's crazy the way it works out. And like, again, leaving so many questions is perfect because that's the way it should. It, it really does just tap into that nightmare idea of like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how this works, but it works enough to make you unnerved you know so yeah it, it does a grand job of that yeah it definitely stands out as not only a great sequel and you know again the turnaround time on this movie is nuts i didn't realize that it came out that much sooner than uh it actually did yeah it's I mean, just a year later is is insane and for the quality to be of this caliber like granted you know again it's taking that original concept from the original and changing the scenario but again like that's not all that this is you can't just say that oh well this stands on the success of adapting to a bigger environment with a higher body count right because again for all the things that we mentioned it feels as if every facet of the film has been improved upon well beyond the means you would assume of something that's coming out you know starts filming seven months after the release of the original um, but it really does stand as a sequel that I think others could learn in terms of you can expand on the mythology of something in a way that doesn't necessarily give a lot of additional answers for things. Yeah. But so long as you can adapt it in a way that, you know, yields equally proficient practical work or kills or just moments in general between monsters or within, you know, for not to say this movie has like the greatest cast of characters out there, but you know, it does expand these characters and they do feel like people that, you know, have some semblance of a connection of, Oh, people that live in an apartment complex or their friends visiting somebody in these things. And, you know, establishing the setting is 
equally as important as it is, you know, having all of these practical effects and things that we've been talking about. Because I've definitely seen some apartment horror films previously that you feel like the entire thing takes place in this one room and that nothing else is occurring in the rest of the building. Or this is just one little universe in this apartment building. And it's nice to see a film where the stakes of the movie are everybody in the building, not just one particular family or one particular person in a unit. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I did last review this, I said that I, I love the idea of recycling of ideas in a new environment, which mm-hmm. you know, this basically is, you know, ending aside, I think, you know, it would almost be on par with the original because of how it sort of builds on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it really does not get the credit it deserves, but then Demons doesn't either, really. You know? I don't think because it does. You know, Euro horror is a very difficult thing to sell to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So you know, you either like that or you don't. And so if you don't like the first one, this one's really not going to do it for you. But yeah, I I think in terms of that realm of things, it, it really does just do something amazing you know it, they both work brilliantly as late night viewing yeah because they just have that dreamlike surreal quality that makes you not sure if you're still awake or not you know and, mm-hmm. and i like that. that that is exactly what stuff you watch at 2 a.m in the morning it should be you know it, it's stuff it, it you cannot watch this before then i i, I stand by that anytime <laughs> i've ever enjoyed watching demons and demons do is always after midnight mm-hmm. i i i was even this week, you know, watching this, I know, granted, there was a heat wave going on here and I was so tired from it. But, you know, I was watching it at like seven o'clock in the evening and I just, I fell asleep halfway through because I was so tired from everything. Like that was just, you know, no shame on the film. It's just like, you know, I was tired. I've seen this before and I feel comfortable just going to sleep and that, like that. But it was, I know that watch that later and it's holding my attention because it suits me in terms of my like time being up and awake and around and you know as we're doing this now it's like half midnight here and Mm -hmm. you know i'm still talking away so that's my alive time if you will (laughs) you get these (laughs) you get these lulls in the earlier evening as a result and it's a long-standing thing for me where you know i i grew up on the idea of like staying up late late and watching these illicit films and experiences like whether be you know stuff i bought or that was on tv and it felt you know illicit and exciting and things that you shouldn't be watching at all and yeah both of these films are so amazing for that that they really do just capture it you know I, i bang on about this all the time about i love that late night tv feel and, and when that's done well, and these films are a big reason why I love that. Yeah, and you know, I think that the ending, especially upon learning about the originally intended ending of the movie, is probably the only fault I have with the film, right? I think that we've been talking about like how this movie has a mean streak and whatnot, and you know, along the lines of the original film too, but for this movie to have like a happy ending is probably the only element of the movie that I can really like criticize it for, especially when I just recently learned, because I obviously didn't know before this, but uh, I had learned that the original intended ending was essentially supposed to be that apartment 
scene early on when it was, you know, the the baby demon bursting out and then chasing somebody around the apartment, the ending was supposed to be something similar to that, right? In that the yeah. girl, Hannah, that's been pregnant the entire movie gives birth essentially to a, ze- a demon baby or the demon baby literally claws her way out, which, you know, that would probably be, if that was the ending, I would probably think that this is, I would hold it in higher regards than the original, I think, just because yeah. of the commitment to being as nasty and mean as possible, which is earned in a film like this, right? I think that when you're talking about horror movies in general that are like mean or nasty, it's like, well, that only works or that's only appealing when it feels earned, I think. You Mm. know what I mean? Like movies that really feel like they're building to that are the ones that allow that type of an ending to play really well for me. Whereas if it was something that throughout the movie was like, lighthearted or whatever and then it ends with that you're like well is that really earned have we been building towards that whereas this movie to kind of end on a happy note that's the only part of the movie that necessarily doesn't really land for me but yeah at the same time you know i guess i need to wait till i see because isn't there a demon three or did they end up rebranding that into something else i think yeah I'm trying it's to remember. not like uh it's not what you call official Let's put it that way. So, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, but yeah, there is a a thing that's like it, but it isn't part of this. All right. So yeah, I, I wouldn't concern yourself with that one. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess my last thing then will just be, you know, you mentioned Evil Dead Rise and the clear influence between Evil Dead two demons, right? So, in Evil Dead Rise, like, what should be the one takeaway that that movie? has from something like demons too which you know it's not a stretch to you know connect those dots well you know i think if you're going to do anything it has to be the using the idea of strangers living together you know and you know without being like full strangers like casual acquaintances that you meet in the hall you know like that and your suspicions of them or concerns about them being made real because of a demonic possession, you know, that that sort of stuff would work, especially in the Evil Dead realm where, you know, there's this old toying with people, with how they feel about other people. That would work so well because you know, there's, there's nothing worse than like living in a building with other people that you don't know that well and having it confirmed about how you think they might be or how it might feel about you. So yeah, if you could tap into that, with Evil Dead especially, I, I think that would be significant because you know like the federal alvarez film did some of that you know it really leaned into the familiarity whilst having a bit of you know distance between some characters who are only there by association and it all being centered on something traumatic and that manipulating the whole thing for everybody uh through the demonic power so yeah taking that idea and pushing it into that kind of thing because it's i think it's gonna be goofy uh, or slapsticky like a sam raimi film it's gonna be probably more like fede's film in that regard so yeah if you can give it that the thing style sort of paranoia about worrying about well if someone else turns what they're gonna tell me about myself sort of thing you know and whilst also the fact they probably cut my throat but you know it's it's there you know i like that and it's like the the paranoia of the hive mind appearing you know and like your thoughts being infected by the perversion of others you know it, it's 
key to Evil Dead in general, placed in that kind of environment could work so, so well. I hope the concern isn't just like, oh, we're going to make it bloody and gory and whatever like that. I hope that there's some sort of psychological manipulation there, which was always a big part of Raimi's film, dude. You know, like as much as slapstick's there, it's the toying with people, you know, and making fun of them via the means of demonic possession. It's there. So you can totally do that in there and make it a fresh reevaluation of that idea. That's a really good point because that's something that I only really started thinking about more so when I went back and revisited the original Evil Dead Mm. for my series review that I just completed recently. And the original Evil Dead was a film that I hadn't revisited in a long time. And I had forgotten just how nefarious, you know, the Deadite infecting people or or possessing people is when, you know, it really does thrive and enjoy manipulating others. And, you know... That's understated or undercut a little bit when you have like a punchline attached to it, like in, you know, Evil Dead 2 or something along those lines, which is not a knock against that movie, but just in terms of retaining that nefarious nature of enjoying essentially playing with their food, if you will, um, through doing that, I think is a really strong element of Evil Dead that I hope they bring back. And I think for me, the big thing with Rise is going to be seeing how they summon the Kandarian demon, right? How they start the possession in that building, how it spreads. I think that the way in which they do that will probably be something through social media, I would assume. That's kind of like my guess, right? Is that Mm. they would take a page out of Demons 2's book where it's like, okay, well, they did it through TV. Here, somebody's going to figure out what it is and then make a YouTube video or tweet about it and get it trending or something like that. And I think that is going to dictate the overall tone of the movie because if they try to do more of a slapsticky thing i don't know how that'll play it might be too goofy but if they play it super straight like the curse aspect of something like incantation or like nori the curse i think that could be really chilling and terrifying and a new yeah. facet for evil dead um but yeah i don't know apartment horror is one that's very manipulative as a genre right and i think mm. that seeing evil dead unfold in that type of setting uh, will be really exciting and hopefully we're still going to uh, get that this year because you know we've been waiting and haven't heard much yeah. but i'm hopeful much secrecy <laughs> much secrecy but i've uh i've heard through the grapevine that people have seen it and it's out there so we'll have to wait and see but this was a great opportunity for me to get to revisit demons 2 man a movie that uh i would again like i said i was a little lukewarm on the first time I saw it, but in revisiting and getting to chat with you, it's one that I've uh, had a newfound appreciation for, and it's a perfect way to kick off uh, Apartment Horror Month. Yeah, fantastic fun. Yeah, but uh, before I let you go, why don't you plug your uh, Twitter and any of your uh, recent articles? Yeah, my Twitter is at Nezko, that's N-E-Z-Z-K-O. Mostly at the minute, Beyond doing a podcast with someone called Jake Rieger, uh, <laughs> safe room. I, I uh, write for DreXP weekly, doing articles there. As of this recording, I just did an article on cats uh, in terms of like a stray, um, a game called Feed Your Cat, which is an indie horror one, and also re- sort of retelling the story I had of uh, my cat's interruption of the climax thing of uh, Telltale of the Walking Dead. Um, so yeah, it, it, a meow mix, as, as I called it. Uh, so yeah, stuff like that. 
silly stuff generally um, with horror. That's what I love doing there. So you can find a few like that on there. Terrific. Well, I always enjoy and appreciate you chatting horror movies with me for a change. And, uh, you know, until next time on Safe Room, brother, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, which won't be long. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.